Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. For the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, be with all of us gathered in his name today. Uh, whether we're here in the sanctuary or the Family Life Center or we're part of the extended JCBC family worshiping online. I just want to welcome you into this time of study and this season of newness. Do you feel it in the air a little bit? You feel it walking in today, and it's not just the swag bags with the t-shirts and journals, and I hope you're using those, but there is a kind of newness of heart that we sense here, and I'm just looking out uh, in between the spotlights, and I see the shadowed faces, and you look good. You look good gathered as a body of believers. Listen, yeah, and I want to bring a word to you before we begin this sermon uh, some of you have been asking this week. It is true, we are, we are mindful of the rising numbers of people we know who have um, been a part of this new wave of positive COVID-19 um, uh, tests or this, the cases. And some of you have been asking us, will this change any of our policy? And so here's what I'm telling you right now. So right now, we remain today mask optional. You may notice uh, that your pastors are wearing masks when we are interacting closely with you, just as an expression of our care and an extra measure of our own precaution. I'm exceedingly proud of our children's ministry volunteers. Robin reached out and said, listen, it's still mask optional. Would you mind, for the sake of our children who, who can't be vaccinated, would you mind just volunteering and most, almost 100% said yes, and they did it without even uh, a, second, a second question. And I'm grateful to those who are serving with our children's ministry. I want you to pay attention this week, because this week we will talk a little bit more with the task force and, and make decisions about how we continue forward in this new season. Whether we continue with our mask optional arrangement or we modify that in some way. Now let me also let you in on what's going to happen this week in my email box. So there will be, and, I, and I've got a, a year and a half of evidence to prove it. I have, so a small percentage on one end of the spectrum will email and say, I will not come if you make me wear a mask. Okay. And I will get the equal number of people on the other end who say, I will not come unless you make everyone wear a mask. And the vast majority of you will say to me, I just want to come, so tell me what i got to do to be together with my church family. Yeah. And I just want you to know there is no mask shaming, mask judgment, condemnation, but I want you to know that where we go together, we go together. Wherever we move from this point forward, we move as one body together. And I'm going to ask for your... Um, 
your cooperation and your support as we move forward so that we can do what we've been doing thus far for the last half hour, gather in person and lift up the name that is above every name. Yeah. Yeah. Now, speaking of gathering today, today's a new day because, so next week we are going to give Bibles to our first and second graders right here in worship. Last year we couldn't do it, so this year we're going to have first and second graders receive their Bibles. But today it's a new day because both in this room and in our Family Life Center, for the very first time in their worship experience, we have new third graders, and I just want both rooms to extend a welcome to them in worship as they are worshiping with us today. Yeah. And third graders, this is your church family. This is what we do on Sundays, and we are so proud of you for being with us in this room or in the Family Life Center. Now remember, you were told in the Sunday school hour on the way in, you always want to grab a a worship resource for you that's on the entrance of each of the worship rooms, and you have your journal. Like many of the grown-ups have a brand new journal today to take notes, and I want you to pay attention to some things that I'm saying today on your notes page so that we can talk about it afterwards, and you can talk to Miss Robin about this as well. Now, as we continue in our worship and we move into a time of study, I'm going to ask that you join me in a moment of humility and prayer and seeking as the Spirit may move about us today. Let's pray. God, we do pause in this moment to simply acknowledge something that so often through the week we ignore. And it's not that we want to ignore it. It's not that we want to miss the mystery of your presence. It's just that life happens and we carry weight with us and we carry responsibilities with us and we're, we're moving and we're, we're, we're going at such a fast pace that sometimes doing the very thing it takes to make it through the day requires that we sometimes miss where you have been attempting to capture our attention and our imagination. But for right now, in this moment, we pause to yield to the reality that your spirit is in and among us, even right now. And we pray that as we open your sacred word and we seek to be transformed by it, we pray that your spirit would move in such a powerful way that maybe we discover something that we have never known before. Maybe we yield to something that we have never welcomed before. Maybe our life experiences something of a change that we never saw coming. We pray that now, believing that if you move among us, lives will be transformed. In the name of Christ Jesus, the Lord of life, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. So. Let me start this study in the book of Acts, and I hope that you follow along in your journal. There's some space in there for you to take some notes or jot some questions or curiosities. And I want you to go ahead and turn with me to the first chapter of the book of Acts. We'll be here for 16 weeks, but today is a unique introduction-type sermon, and I want to begin this way. This room that we are in, in the sanctuary, is one of my favorite rooms on the planet. It is absolutely stunning in 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 my opinion it's not just beautiful and it's not just a place where worship takes place but it's it's a great preaching room 
Because we are in a circle, well, in, in something of a round, well, there's, there's something of a nearness, even if it is so large and spread out. I love this room. It's unique. It's a little bit different, however, than the room where my father was baptized as a child. He and his family attended the First Baptist Church of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Some of you know that church. It's a gorgeous sanctuary, and interestingly, it's, it's built and designed to be in the shape of a cross. Much like many of the Gothic-style sanctuaries um, all around the world where God is adored, there is this nave, a long piece, where most of the people gather. And then there is a cross piece where some others gather, or there may be orchestra or choir. And in fact, the best picture I could find is here. Take a peek. That's from the back looking forward. You can't really tell, but there is a cross piece. And if you look from above, you see that the church is in the shape of a cross. Well, on both ends of the cross beam, there are these gorgeous blue stained glass windows. But right down the middle of the stained glass, there is a pane of red stained glass. If you were able to see even closer, the pipe organ at the front looks like that of a crown at the head of the cross. I show you that picture today because what happens in any sanctuary is the thing that's most important. What happens in it is what's most important. But that church is interestingly designed. The architecture of it tells a story. The very structure, the design, the architecture of the building itself says something about what happens on the inside of it. Now, you and I both know the thing that matters most is not the look of a place. That's just bricks and mortar. What happens inside it is what matters most. Yet, there are some buildings that are designed to tell a story before you even go in it. In the same way. The book of Acts is filled with extraordinary stories of transformation in the lives of people and people groups. The stories that we are going to unpack over the next 16 weeks are transformational stories. They're fantastic. What happens in the book is what's most important. But the book is designed, I might even say, the architectural structure of the book is laid out in such a way as to tell a story by the way it is mapped out. There are sections of the book that move in a certain trajectory, and if you back up for just a moment and, and hold for a moment the contents that are in it and simply look at the sweep of it, the design of the book of Acts tells a story that if we are open to it, can transform somebody's life even today. So as an introductory type sermon, I want to give you an overview of the whole sweep of the book of Acts. But in so doing, I want you to pay attention not so much to what happens on the outside or inside of the book of Acts. I want you to pay attention to what happens on the inside of you. Yeah. So we begin reading in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. 
after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, most of you know, if you've been around Sunday school for very long, if you don't know, if you maybe are new to the faith, the book of Acts is part two, it's a sequel, part two, to a two-volume work in the New Testament called Luke-Acts. So one of the Gospels that we have in our New Testament is the Gospel of Luke. The same author of Luke penned the book of Acts. So it's Luke-Acts, really. But he gives an idea of what we're up to in the first few verses. The phrase that's most important in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. In the Gospel of Luke, the author attempts to describe what Jesus began to do. In the book of Acts, it is the story of what Christ intends to continue to do. Now, in the book of Luke, what did he do? Well, the text just told us. He spoke and taught about the kingdom of God. Well, the kingdom of God is a phrase that Jesus used to describe what it means to be alive in the reign of God. For human beings to be so awake to the power of God's presence and action in the world that you turn and no matter where you turn, who you are, where you've been, where you're going, you have the capacity, if you have the eyes to see it and the ears to hear it, you have the capacity to perceive God's reign, God's presence, where in that kind of kingdom, that kind of reign or realm, we experience life that's different than every other kind of kingdom where there is true peace, peace between us and God, peace between one another, reconciled relationships, forgiveness for sins, steadiness of heart, stability of mind. In this kind of kingdom, there are no boundaries like there are geographically or politically or ethnically or racially in this world. This kind of kingdom is a kingdom that extends past all of those superficial and very temporary boundaries between people. And in the book of Luke, Jesus taught that if you have the eyes to see it and the ears to hear it, the kingdom is closer than you think. It's not some far-off place then and there, but it's emerging and breaking in here and now. Do you perceive it? See, So in the book of Acts, it's the story of the spreading of that kingdom, that realm, that reign in which God's domain is in every human heart all over the planet. Now, the most consistent character in the book of Acts, one might think it's, one of the disciples or apostles, because the traditional name of the book is the Acts of the Apostles. But the only consistent character, the dominant character throughout the entire book is actually Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. So you might even refer to it as the Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Because here, here's the rub. Most of us live lives of spiritual plateau and stagnancy 
because we have assumed that the acts of God were long ago. That there are wonderful stories that happened to people, faithful people, long ago. And that somehow faith to us simply means believing that those things happened then and there. And the reality is the acts, the study of the book of Acts is to remind you that this is your story. That the power of God's presence, the spirit moving through us is meant for you and for me. Now, I mentioned something about architecture a minute ago. So the flow and the structure of this book is absolutely about you and me, the reality that the Spirit has always moved in the same way, in and through the lives of people who yield to that Spirit. But there is a kind of trajectory in the book of Acts. It starts in one place and it ends in another. If you think about the geography of the book of Acts, there is a certain trajectory to it. And we read about it in verse 8. Check this out. But you will receive power, he says later in chapter 1, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The trajectory of the book of Acts moves from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And I want you to just kind of brand that in your mind for a moment because over the course of the next 16 weeks, we're going to move from one part of the book into another and into another. But each of these sections of the book is meant to describe the literal way in which the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom spread from where they were in Jerusalem to where they advanced in Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. But I want to suggest to you today that not only is this an old story about how the church was launched and how it spread and the good news went to the ends of the earth, I want to suggest that not only is it literally how the church was born and spread, but allegorically it's the very same trajectory that God intends to put in you. Because in you right now, there is a Jerusalem. In you right now, there is a Judea and Samaria. In you, there is whatever you would define as the ends of the earth. And how the Spirit moves in the book of Acts, we see the Spirit attempting to spread the reign of God and meet with um, uh, predictable and, and repeated obstruction. In each of these movements, the Spirit continually met obstacles and barriers that the Spirit had like a wind to overcome and blow through. And in the midst of it, the people themselves changed. And our understanding of Christ and, its, and his reign as the king of the world changed. And I suggest the same thing can happen in us. So in Jerusalem, the story begins. And you find Jerusalem talked about in chapters 2 through 7. In this portion, something interesting happens in the book of Acts. We read in the next couple of weeks, we'll study this, how the Spirit came to dwell among the people. And the language that's used is deliberate language. The Spirit came like the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and then tongues of fire settled on each of the believers, and, and diverse multinational groups of Jews from all across the diaspora were able to hear in their own language the words of good news 
being spoken and preached and proclaimed. And yet that language is deliberate, wind and fire. It's a direct reference to Exodus and Leviticus and some of the prophets who said that there is coming a day when the Messiah comes when a new temple will be constructed and God will dwell among mortals in a new temple. But in Acts, what we're going to see in a couple of weeks is that the surprise of the ages is that the new temple was in the hearts of each person. Now that sounds like good news. It sounds like God's presence and action is now able to dwell in the new temple of each person who believes. So a system of new temples who have names and families and addresses, right, and food preferences. We become the new temples where God's spirit is alive and present. And what happens over the next few chapters is that because people have given their life to the spirit, the Christ who is in them, They begin to perform acts of wonder, mighty signs and deeds of justice and compassion and mercy. All of the jobs that were meant to be performed by the temple system that was in place. And now it's being multiplied in exponential ways because anyone who was a temple of the Holy Spirit can perform these acts of compassion, grace, mercy, and justice, right? Now that sounds like good news unless... You work for the temple. Because now it's really more of a threat. Because the temple was the delivery system of everything that was good and right and orderly and just. The temple was the delivery system of faith and all things religious. And now you're saying that there is a kind of collapse to the way things were? Jesus would say, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Sometimes old temples have to collapse for the new one to rise. Do you remember the first time that he preached in his home church? It's his first sermon at his home church, his home synagogue there in Nazareth. And he stands up and everybody's so proud of him. He's come back after a long time. And he says, look, and he reads from the book of Isaiah. And Jesus says, you know, uh, the good news is upon me to, uh, uh, to bring good news to the poor, or the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, uh, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he sits down, and all the people in church say, oh, he's, oh I'm so proud of him. Isn't that Joseph's son? He's doing so well. We sent him off to seminary, and he's back. And he just, he, he's, he talks so good, you know. And then he does something subversive they're so confident in their system they're so confident in the delivery system that had given them faith and that had given them old confidences about what it means to be followers of Yahweh and Jesus said my sermon continues he sits down and he uses two sermon illustrations that just about get him killed he says you know a long time ago there were Gosh, during the time of drought, when we really needed a prophet to speak and just come forward, God didn't use Elijah, the official prophet, but used the widow of Zarephath, a non-Jew, outside the system, in order for God's reign to be spread. And then he goes on to say, well, you know, there were many lepers at that time as well, but he chose to heal the leper Naaman of Assyrian the non-Jew, the one who lived in Syria, because God will never 
be contained by systems, no matter how trustworthy they are to us. God will never allow God's spirit to be contained, but will sometimes circumvent the system in order for God's reign to truly be spread in the hearts of all people, regardless of their their background, their ethnicity, or their, their religious confession. Well, they were so mad about that sermon, they 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 gathered him and took him to the brow of the hill and tried to throw him over the cliff, tried to kill him. Right? Now, I've used some bad sermon illustrations before. But what was Jesus saying? Jesus, and now the book of Acts is saying, sometimes the temples that have given you previous confidences sometimes must fall down. And in falling down, it will raise a kind of anxiety with you, but don't let it move you. Because the truth is the Spirit always works by collapsing our old temples to raise up something new in here. Well, because of that, the the persecution of the first Christians began because you can't be so 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 much an advocate of the old way and see a new way come and not put up your defenses. And so the old way, the temple leaders, the religious leaders, began a persecution of the Christians. And so it forced them to move from Jerusalem to take their message to a place they had never imagined taking this kind of message, to the land of Judea and Samaria, a land of their enemies. Jews and Samaritans never get along. And there something happens and they see unexpected transformations in people. I'm talking about like, a, like an Ethiopian eunuch who, we'll preach that in a few weeks, who in every conceivable way was cut off from Jerusalem and yet was baptized into the faith. And now he's one of us. And we see a persecutor of the church, the most feared man, Saul, yield to the power of transformation that he never saw coming. And he becomes the champion of the church and writes most of the New Testament. We see Peter here in the land of Judea, Samaria, a land of unfamiliar territory, a land of being pushed to the edge of their own comfort level in terms of what they embrace and endorse and believe and confess. Here's Peter, and he has this dream where there is food coming down, and, 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 and he has a, a vision that changes the way he thinks about what is clean and unclean. And God says, I know that for a long time you considered these things unclean, but they are clean. I have made them. And do you realize what a watershed moment that is in the mind of Peter and the mind of faithful Jews? God, you taught us to think this way. And yet you're saying that your spirit is moving in such a way that now the reign of the realm of your kingdom is so, so vast, so, so all-encompassing that, that I have to call into question some of the very things that I have believed my whole life? And in Judea and Samaria, there is this amazing movement that happens. The movement that began as a, as a provincial movement of, of just Jewish believers now spreads to become an international multi-ethnic movement. Where at Antioch, the first international multi-ethnic church is created and there are boundaries that disappear and divisions that are erased. Ethnic, racial, political, um, uh, theological, all erased. And it's right there that Christians are first called Christians in the Bible. It's there that the first missionaries are launched into this, this, new, this new missionary zeal of spreading the kingdom of God to those who have never heard the good news. 
So from Jerusalem, the Spirit moves even through the toppling of old systems. The Spirit moves through the stones and the rubble to a place where it takes people where they never thought they would be. And the Spirit says, it's okay. Because this is how the true kingdom of Christ is spread to the world. And then there it moves to the uttermost parts of the earth, or as your text says, the ends of the earth. This is the anatomy, the architecture of the the book of Acts, moving from the Jerusalem of our unbelief all the way to the Judea and the Samaria of our unexamined prejudices and assumptions about God and one another and even ourselves to the ends of the earth, to territory where they had never been. And of course, that's where all the stories of of Paul's missionary adventures happen, and they are extraordinary stories of cultures clashing. I mean, how, how can you go to a culture and, and present a good news in such a way that is compelling to them enough without watering down your message? It means along the way you have the hard work of being in the world but not of the world. And along the way, what parts of all that I've brought with me need to be relinquished? I mean, do we still have to eat the dietary laws of Leviticus anymore? Well, listen, the ends of the earth, that part of the book of Acts where we see that the Spirit says some things can go, but I will remain. I mean, do we have to continue being circumcised to be a member of the faith? I mean, do you have to be Jewish first before you can become Christian? And here, in the uttermost parts of the earth, we see our early forebearers, our foremothers and forefathers, taking a message where they have to grapple and struggle and argue and fight about it and reconcile around it. This is what it means to carry the message of Christ. It's not easy, and it shouldn't be. Because we carry with us the mystery of the news that can change everything. And we come into cultures and experiences where we are forced to understand their cultures and allow the mystery of the Christ who is already in the culture to emerge. And we point to it like a, like a poet pointing to beauty and say, did you know this is what this is called? It is the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, in each of these movements, in the structure or the architecture of the book of Acts, we see our early forebears struggle with meeting obstacles and barriers at each step of the way. And I'm saying to you, there is a Jerusalem in you and a Judea Samaria in you, and there is an ends of the earth in you. And the Spirit, the same Spirit who descended upon our first Brothers and sisters in the church, it descends upon you and you will face the same obstacles of choosing to allow that spirit to reign because there are parts of our hearts that we choose to keep from the total lordship of Christ. I mean, we like to say that he is Lord of our life except for this one part that I like to keep in charge of. So where is it for you that something has to fall? Because Jesus said it was going to be this way. One day he's walking with the disciples and he's looking around the temple and the disciples are pointing out, look at these buildings. These are gorgeous buildings, the buildings of the temple. And in Luke's gospel, part one of this two-part text, this is what he says. As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown 
down. And in a different gospel, the gospel of John, same kind of conversation, we hear Jesus saying, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they said, Lord, destroy this temple. It took 46 years to build this temple. How, how can you rebuild it in three days? But you and I now know, looking back, that he's talking about destroy my body and I will rise again. And in the same way, destroy whatever earthly temple has been constructed to give you a perceived sense of confidence because it is temporary and every temporary temple must come down. And in the coming down of those temples that gave us confidence for a while, don't fear. Do not be afraid because the spirit of Christ, the risen one, is still within us and rising up in the hearts of all those who welcome it. There is a lot of conversation right now across the nation among pastors about the trends that we're seeing in churches and it is filled with anxiety and filled with some cause of concern because post-pandemic patterns will change, attendance will change, the way we define how we engage as a community of faith will change. Will the old programs and delivery systems that once gave us confidence continue to give us confidence? Well, we're already seeing that for many, the answer is no. But I need to look you in the face, or at least you, you look me in the face, When I tell you that as your pastor, I am not rattled in the least. I'm telling you to listen to me and believe me. Not one pastor on this staff is rattled at all. And here's why. There have been days in the last year and a half when we have been to the brink of utter exhaustion. But the flip side of exhaustion is exhilaration. Because every time throughout history, and we have a whole book of the New Testament to to chronicle this thing for us, all through history, every time temples of stone have come down, the resurrected Christ has risen up. Yeah. And the question for me is not so much what will the universal church do, because the church will not fall apart. It's not so much what will JCBC do because we have a heritage of congregational courage and we will endure. But my big question is what will you do with the temple that is in you that must wobble and teeter and sometimes fall apart? Will you let it? If it means that the spirit will move through you once more. So I think about the prophet Isaiah I think about how God, speaking through the prophets, spoke to a very anxiety-riddled nation. They had just gone through the exile. They had never experienced something as cataclysmic as the exile. And you and I have experienced something somewhat cataclysmic and are still in the midst of it. And God speaks. And defies all of their assumptions when he says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I pray that you, yeah, he said a bunch of other stuff too, yeah. (laughs) My question is, do you perceive it? Because half the time I don't perceive it. Half the time, what I see is trouble, more anxiety in the air, more decisions to be made. But what if we could change our perception 
that this is how it always works. It's the paschal mystery, that which falls, rises in Christ. So as we prepare for a study in in Acts, I hope that you come every Sunday because we're going to dig deep and we're going to discover some things that we need to hear. But my question for you is this, if it's true, that in the Jerusalem of your heart, you will have the same obstacles as our first brothers and sisters. If it's true that in the Judea and Samaria of your heart, you will have to come to grips with some unexamined assumptions about the way the world works and how those people are. And is it even possible that I could be in the same faith as those people? Because they bring all that baggage and I bring all this baggage. Can I see through my baggage and their baggage to the Christ who is in them and in the ends of the earth that is in you. What obstacles keep you from moving into territory you've never traveled before?